What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Credentials Unscripted Podcast. I am your host, Matt Sternberg, and we've got a phenomenal episode today, the good, the bad, and the ugly of micro-credentials. But it's not just me as the host today. I brought in my colleague, Simone. Simone, I wanted to bring you in because, number one, you live and breathe micro-credentials. You're, of anyone that I know, you're heavily and deeply invested in the community and the conversations happening around micro-credentials. So I wanted to bring you in. You also know Noah, who's our guest, really well. So set the table for us. Why are we talking about micro-credentials? Why are they important? Why should people be excited about the upcoming conversation? Well, one angle is that micro-credentials are taking us across two areas of learning. And just having this experience to live through, this transition is great. In a sense, there is a lot for me the micro-credential represent when it comes to recognition. And we'll hear Noah talk about that a lot. And in principle, I hope we can surface the point that micro-credentials are really just a powerful tool to bring about diversity, equity, and inclusion, just by making learning more accessible, more targeted for all kinds of different segments of the population. And also, they're fun. And they can <laughs> let us have this crazy conversation with a courageous professionals like Noah, who has recently, well, has been running this bad summit, which I would frame as the burning man of credentials. And I invite everyone to <laughs> So if you're listening, consider. if you're listening and you like micro-credentials and you like to have fun, this is the event for you, the burning man of credentials. Wow. Okay. Sorry, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just thought it was such a great anecdote. Uh, yeah, so sure. It is like that. It's very much community-based and... Noah has really been able to bring together the thinking that was happening across the ponds and in different regions. I do think that this event is positioning as one where all thinking counts and the way he's designing it with his team is really just to be trying different things, different you know approaches to co-designing the future of credentials with a lot of courage, as I said. So there is really no, no boundaries. And that has provided that fertile ground for people to just show up and contribute in a way that is meaningful and that shapes the event in the future years. Yeah, and that's why I appreciate talking to people like you and Noah and specifically the conversation on micro-credentials. It is a new thing. And so I don't feel like there's anything that's taboo. You know, it's still very much being developed. So I don't think there's any bad questions, bad opinions. I think it really is a community figuring out what this looks like. And because it's still in development, I feel like it's a very welcoming conversation, right, to have. So that's why I think it's really, really an interesting topic. Yeah, the most interesting thing in cred tech, as someone would say. <laughs> cred tech, never heard of that. All I'm right. just trying to live up to Noah's standards in terms of analogies or, you know, making up creative ways of explaining what's going on. All right. Well, that's a good segue. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Noah Geisel. All right. And without further ado, Simone and I are here with Noah Geisel. Noah, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit more about your role and what your responsibility is with micro-credentialing. How did you get into this world? Well, thank you so much, Matt. Simone, it's great to be here with you. 
Uh, a lot going on in that question is the interested on micro-credentials program manager at University of Colorado Boulder, as well as a co-founder of the annual Badge Summit Conference that is going to be in its ninth year here in 2024 at CU Boulder. And really, my journey into this space was one, like a lot of people probably have born out of frustration that going back a little over 10 years ago when it was unwritten rule to basically have a staff meeting in which you play the Sir Ken Robinson TED Talk about the future of education, that you had a lot of leaders saying, you know, the important thing is is creativity, empathy, critical thinking, and then going back into, at the time I was a K-12 Spanish teacher, in rating teacher effectiveness, rating school effectiveness on knowledge level test scores that were totally, you know, the antithesis of what they just shown us in the video. And so I really came to this space of saying, well, if we're saying creativity matters, if we're saying empathy, critical thinking matters, you know, why aren't we measuring those things? And, you know, I kind of started to have a bit of a cynical feeling that maybe it's just because it's hard. And so I really was on a mission journey to find and connect with people who were, you know, asking those same questions and was really lucky to just be following people on Twitter like Simone, like Doug Belshaw and Don Prezant and some of these early people who you know, really kind of created this space of recognition storytelling through open badges and verifiable credentials that just, you know, really set me off on a journey of saying this is possible and maybe it's hard with the way we've always done things. But there's really smart and talented people working on the technology and to make it totally doable on the execution end if, if we're willing to adapt. So, you know, we have a lot of different people that are going to be listening to this, right? Some people are going to be individuals that live and breathe micro-credentials every day, right? They're going to know all the different terminology. They're going to know about the entire ecosystem. And other people are going to be pretty new to micro-credentials. So I think it'd be helpful if we define what a micro-credential is. What and there's going to be maybe multiple definitions, but what is Noah's definition of a micro-credential? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, you could uh, get 10 experts, 10 novices, you give it to David and probably land on 10 different definitions that are at least hopefully related or overlapping in Venn diagrams, I guess. But in my official capacity at University of Colorado Boulder, we do differentiate between micro-credentials and digital badges. We view micro-credentials as a programmatic term. So similar to a degree or a certificate program, micro-credential is a programmatic offering. So a unit proposes a micro-credential, it gets approved, learners declare for, apply to, or enroll in a micro-credential. And when they successfully complete it, the artifact of recognition we use is a digital badge um, or a series of digital badges. And, you know, I think that for us, it really comes down to storytelling and recognition, right? That uh, similar to as a diploma is to a degree, digital badges are to micro-credentials where things get you know, really innovative and next gen, if you will, unless you're listening to this in five or 10 years, is that because of that digital aspect of the artifact of that digital badge credential, we're able to do all this extra storytelling about it to contextualize. And in my mind, kind of uptext the credential itself to say, okay, here's not just the credential, but here's a narrative of what is credentialing. And I think that that really takes us to a place of these artifacts and credentials being, you know, just about people to being something that actually gets used 
by those people, you know, to open doors and, and help them access opportunities. Well, that's a great segue into the kind of initial question, which is like, why are we doing this? You know, like, what is actually the benefit to learners? What's the benefit to institutions? And I think it's an important because I feel like every, well, I might be a little close to this, but I feel like I hear so much about micro-credentials, right? It's such a sexy topic in higher education that sometimes it's like taking a step back and going, okay, what are we really doing here? Like, how is this actually impacting and benefiting learners? And then also, like, how is this helping institutions evolve to meet the needs of students and workforce and all the rest? So like, why are we actually doing this? Why is micro-credentialing important? Why should people care about it? If I'm listening to this and I've thought about investing at my institution, why should I care about it? Yeah, I love that question because I think that too often we dive right into the what. And, you know, I think the why is is really important because if we don't have a compelling why, you know, buy-in is going to be really difficult. And I also think it's highly contextualized to where you are as a stakeholder within the ecosystem because I think that each kind of, constituency is going to have a different why. I think that you know, to that latter part of the question of why you might be interested in investing time, resources, personnel, you know, into this in if you're in the higher education, I think the one really compelling why is if there's a pretty good chance that this stuff is going to be ubiquitous in a not too distant future, that really your your decision is do you want to wait until it is a rushed adoption? Or do you want to get on board while you still have the chance to have a more deliberate, intentional design process where you have the runway to engage stakeholders and where you're early enough to where your institution can actually be lending voice to actually shaping what this future looks like? And so I think that's one really compelling why is right now you have the luxury of choice. In a not too distant future, I think there's a really good chance your institution doesn't, it's not a choice. It's something that we're probably all going to be doing. And so that's kind of more of a bully way of looking at it. And so I don't know if I should have started there, but I think that you'd mentioned workforce. And I, I do think that regardless of what your sort of ethos is around the purpose of K-12 or, or higher education, I do think it's important to consider that stakeholder group of you know, industry and hiring. And I think that you know, big reason for that is that their interest in this is a big reason why it's not going to go away and why it's going to become ubiquitous. And it basically comes down to trust. And when employers are looking to fill a position, they have our resume, they have our cover letter, they have our interview. And if you look at research like Adam Grant out of Wharton, you know, School of Business, and it says that we're really bad at it. We're not good at hiring. At best, we're good at deciding that we're going to like somebody in the water cooler or not, but not if it's not if we're making a good hiring decision. You know, I think that industry is really looking at you know trusted credentials that can get granular about skills and achievements and really help you know have a trusted narrative of what people know and are able to do that it allows them before they even get to the interview stage to maybe be making better decisions that, you know, remove some of their biases and help them land a, a sort of top finalist group of who they're going to look at bringing in for interviews that, you know, just based off of merit, not gender, race, last name, who you know, but actually based off skills that you have that align with the skills they need, that maybe that results in an efficiency in the hiring process that helps them make better decisions because bad decisions are expensive. And it helps them also better know you and better know not just that they want you on the bus, but where your right seat is on the bus, right? Going back to Jim Collins, good to great kind of thinking around stuff. And then, you know, if you shift over to, 
you know, institutions of higher ed. I, I think that there's just so much opportunity for us. I think that anybody looks at things like skills-based hiring and the, you know, doing away of degree requirements and job postings and think that there's a default that for the conventional wisdom to assume that that's a bad thing for higher ed and that it's actually signaling the death of the degree. And I would argue that that's actually a case of conventional wisdom not being wise. I think that, sure, there's going to be a broader applicant pool of talent because of the lack of a degree requirement. But also, if we're equipping our learners with trusted, granular level storytelling about the skills and accomplishments that they acquired within the degree, it actually is going to privilege a degree more than ever and give degree holders even more competitive advantage than they've ever had. And also, like, who's saying that, like, the depth of the degree is usually framed in the context of, oh, no, this is bad, or it's going to totally change everything that we're doing. Why is the death of the degree a bad thing, right? Think about the way that we do it today. Like, it's so binary, right? You have a degree or you do not, right? Let's say I'm four credits short. I pretty much have all of the knowledge as the person who has a degree, but I don't have one and doors are closed to me because I don't have the degree. And I think that's why institutions are wary I think it's good to be wary, like generally of things that are new and like, let's make sure like to your point that why are we doing this? Is this the right method for credentialing people, all this other stuff? But like today we have this huge problem where we have so many people that have some college and no degree, they have no credential, right? And so there's nothing to show for that experience that they did put in. So they've got debt, no degree. And there's no way for them to get that next educational professional opportunity. And really, when you think about the history of higher ed, like that is a powerful thing for them to hold on to, to basically say, like, you need to be here for four years traditionally. And we have this piece of paper that's going to be really important to you. You really need to stay. And so I understand why people are like, this is a significant change. But I think what you're saying is, it's not either or, it's like a both and. Like, how do we do this in connection with each other? We're not taking away the degree. We're just kind of creating a pathway that is awarding alongside of it as we go, right? And I think that's really the exciting promise, at least for me, is I'm not getting one credential at the end of my experience here. Yeah, I would almost compare it to an analogy that just popped in my head is, you know, when somebody comes into your home and the person who judges you by your bookshelf, right? And right now, the system is akin to the bookshelf is there, but it's just book covers. The pages aren't there, right? There's The book cover is, is acting as a proxy for the story that's inside, but the pages are not actually inside of the book covers on the bookshelf, right? And I think that where this kind of narrative and storytelling goes that I keep talking about it in recognition is by saying, let's actually put the pages in the book cover, right? That it's not just a diploma. It's let's go ahead and instead of just having the diploma be a proxy for the story that's inside, we have the ability because of the metadata to actually include that story, right? And to be able to say, here are the skills, here are things that align with the National Association of Fill-in-the-Blank Standards Framework or Competency Framework that your company is on the board of and helped write, right? And you know, here's actually rubrics if we want to. Here's examples of what went into the earning criteria that somebody had to meet so that you go from a sort of vague right now of here's the name of the class and the grade you got to actually here's what you need to do in order to get that grade. And so it just allows us to supercharge 
the storytelling that goes along with the recognition in our credentials. And I don't want to limit us to four-year degrees at selective institutions, right? This is also at you know, regional four-year schools. It's, it's at community colleges. And you know, to your point, Matt, about the literally tens of millions of people just in the United States who have some post-secondary education and no credentials, you know, there's just a huge opportunity that is both mission aligned probably with most institutions and also kind of revenue aligned as well to look at how this can serve tens of millions of humans to help improve their access to successful outcomes and economic mobility while also kind of reinforcing our own institution's sustainability. So I guess, are you on a quest? Are you looking for something specific? What is your holy grail? What are you after? Are you driven by something specific? Did you see the light at some point and said, like, this is where I should go and find it? Is that revealed to you or you're just following your instinct and you're just in full, like, discovery mode? <laughs> That's a great question. I and the short answer is, yeah, like the goal is to change the world. And, you know, going back to 2015, 2016, my colleagues at Aurora Public Schools and I, where we were working on a project, I, that was our motto every day. How are you doing? And it's like changing the world. That was very explicitly, we believe that there's power here to truly change the world for humans. And I think that my holy grail is going back to that notion of stuff not just being for people by being about them but actually being used by them. And an analogy I give it is, you know, when I go and got a mortgage on my home, hundreds of pages of documents all about me, none of it really for me as a user, right? It's all about me. Bank uses it, closing shop uses it, but, but I don't actually operationalize it. I just sign on a few pages, right? And I think that historically, a lot of our learning records are pretty similar. Yeah, that, that I'm authorized shipping them between different kind of folks, but I'm not actually myself a user. And I think that that's something that is going to be changing where as we talk about learning and employment records, as we talk about the comprehensive learning record, open badges, verifiable credentials, aside from just the what of all they are, right? If, that, if people had to just do earplugs because that was overwhelming, totally cool. They're just envelopes, right? They're containers that happen to be digital and powerful. I think the why that is really compelling for me, you know, that's my holy grail, is that the front-end UX imagines that the A primary user of my credentials is me, that I'm actually going in regularly and looking at my credentials. I'm curating them. I am sharing them out to a scholarship committee, to an employer, to an admissions counselor, to people who essentially opportunity providers, that I am able to use my recognitions, my credentials is a way of opening up opportunities for me in meaningful ways that help them make a better decision, but also empower and enable me. And I really do think that we're going to start to see that because going back to that industry side, it's an efficiency for them, right? I, I don't want to make it sound like these publicly traded companies, you know, that whose stocks go up when they do layoffs are necessarily, you know, doing this because of what's best for the cogs in the wheel. I just think that there's this sort of magical nexus where the cogs who are humans, it's actually also good for us. Isn't that a real challenge, though, like thinking about the workforce side of it? Like we have workforce saying we need better representations of skills. We need to find out better ways to hire, right? 
Then we also have workforce saying like, these don't mean a lot to me, right? And there's not this necessarily critical mass of micro-credentials or badges at this point where they even know what they're seeing. Like, when do we reach that point when it becomes, I know to ask for this or when it gets sent to me, I know what it is. Because I think that's always the challenge of like the handshake between higher ed and workforce, which is, hey, we built this thing. Like, it's such a tall task. Because when we say workforce, it's like hundreds of thousands of companies that have all these various needs. How do we know that they actually want this and that they know what to do with it, right? Let's say I get a micro-credential from a program. I'm like, do I just send it to like IBM? Like when I apply for a job, like, are they going to ask me for it? Like, I don't know how we even begin to measure that type of thing. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really important question. And people have been asking that. I think I heard that question for the first time in 2016. And so it's been around. And also when you think about it, th- things don't necessarily move this light speed, right? And so 2016 to 2024 is only eight years. I think that it took close to 40 years or 50 years for seatbelts to be standard on automobiles, right? Is as clear as it was that this is probably a good thing. It was actually, you know, something that they didn't start with, and it was something you had to pay extra for for decades, right? And so but we think that in less than a decade, we've gone from almost nobody knowing about this to hundreds of institutions issuing these, having dedicated staff, creating these, managing these. And I think we've moved quite a lot in a really short amount of time. And so the lack of patience makes sense to me. The sense of urgency is essential. You know, that makes sense to me. And I guess I'm not necessarily in the camp that is looking around going, how are we not there yet? Why why are things so slow? I think that some of it has to do with also plumbing, technological plumbing that you know people like Simone understand, but that you know there's probably under a hundred people on earth who do. And and so there's certain plumbing that still needs to come along for things to be fully manifested. But I think that part of it is that it's both the chicken and the egg need to advance, right? That we need lots of employers asking for these, even though most employers are saying, we're not going to start asking for these until we see a bunch of opportunity seekers displaying these, right? And lots of opportunity seekers are not going to think, I need to be earning these and displaying these unless opportunity providers like admissions, like employers are asking for these. And so I think it's sort of just a full core press of moving all the chickens and all the eggs at the same time. But I do think it's going to happen. And and I think that part of it is going to be as certain folks in certain pockets recognize really high quality credentials, right? That they start to notice, okay, we just hired somebody who had this batch and that was a really good hiring decision. They're going to all of a sudden start proactively realizing, well, this is a really efficient way where we could just pay LinkedIn, you know, a penny of an email to, you know, private message, anybody who has this credential inviting them to apply. And, And so I think it'll be little things like that that move the needle. And I actually just recently heard an example with an employer who was hiring a contract role and they actually listed the Adobe Creative Educator badge as one of the look-fors in the job posting. And they said that as a result, they actually did get people who'd earned the Adobe Creative Educator badge who applied, and the person they hired was somebody who had the Adobe Creative Educator badge. And so... Yeah, perfect. Everything works. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was also a manual DLA. So we still need things like admissions software. We need things like, you know, 
HR information systems, you know, workday type systems to be consuming these and not just saying, if you have digital credentials like an open badge, give us a link here, but actually consuming them in a machine readable way because that's the only way this scales. We're not there yet, but going back to the chicken and the egg, you know, until these HR software vendors have clients saying, you need to do this for us in 18 months or we're going to put out an RFP for a new software, you know, they don't have urgency themselves. Simone, okay, so how much of this is displaying and recognizing things that are already happening? And how much of this is actually changing the way that we deliver and teach? You know what I mean? Like how much of this is just, hey, you know, students have been just getting the degree for so long, right? And now we're going to credential them along the way. And how much of this is really kind of just not, I don't mean disruptive in a bad sense, but like, now that we have this mechanism, we believe in this mechanism, it's going to change the way that we deliver education. I think the big lift and the real disruptive thing is on the recognition side. But that is really just a signal of what is really changing. And I think this has to do with all learning counts. So if we frame this journey in a lifelong learning sense, then micro-credentials to me came to lower some of the barriers that we built around academia and just recognize that, again, any learning experience, long or short, is worth recognition. And then if you stack it around, it may provide a finer grand picture of yourself and it tells a better story. Also, academia is recognizing that the change of learners the face of learners is changing. And so they want to have a more adequate offering so that they're more inclusive. So it's not only inclusive in the recognition sense, which is casting a much wider net where you could prove that you have learned something, but also in the way this is bringing more people back into universities in a sense. So I, I do think there is a little bit of, a, I'd like to think if I were to pinpoint that to a moment in time in history, this could be a renaissance of learning time. I think it is a democratization a little bit, right? You think about like, I need to have certain time in a seat to get this very valuable currency of a credential. And now it's opening it up so that you can get credentialed a lot quicker. It's a better recognition of what I know. And it ultimately is putting the learner at the center, right? And I think that's kind of where this is all leading is the learner having a little bit more autonomy. And we could get into, which we won't today, like a whole podcast on self-sovereign identity or wallets or whatever else, which I don't think we even have time for. But I think it is the democratization of, and you know, you've heard the term unbundling a lot. Like, I think that's the fear for a lot of people is that it's totally unbundled. But I think there is an element where that is so critical, just given the problem we stated earlier, which is so many people just don't have time to go to college or the finances to go to college for four years and just call it a day, right? There needs to be a different model for many learners. Yeah, I, I want to just hop on that and say that, you know, again, I think that that even when you think around unbundling, I think it goes back to who the stakeholder is. And I really want to key on what Simone talked about, about the lift being on the recognition side. I don't necessarily think that this movement necessitates any disruption in teaching and learning and perhaps learning design in that if your learning design is not explicitly already identifying 
what's happening inside of this learning opportunity, then maybe there's some disruption there is that if right now it's just a black box other than course titles, then yeah, that this is probably going to be a little bit disruptive. But if there's quality learning design already happening, I think that this really just takes the awesomeness that you're already doing and amplifies the awesomeness by doing more transparent storytelling about it. And I think that going back to your point about learners and meeting them where they are, you think about somebody who starts a community college learning opportunity and life happens and they don't finish and they're leaving with, they didn't get the credits for the class, they're not getting their associate's degree, and they're leaving with no recognition of what they did accomplish before they were done, which, you know, creates a more difficult and uphill on-ramp for them to get back into the program when things settle down, they're, they're more able to. And likewise, you know, I think there's other programs where mission is being accomplished before the completion of the degree. And so I met somebody who got really into river uh, river surfing, is that what it's called? Where people, they, they are engineering basically a wake inside of a river where people jump in with a surfboard and they're surfing in a river. And he just got really into it, found a company that does this because the guys were there surfing with him. He's like, how do I work for you? He starts out interning for them. They told him what classes he needed to take at the community college to learn some CAD. And he said, at a certain point, they said, listen, like, you now know enough, like you can, if you want to finish and get your associates, cool, but we're now good to give you, you know, really good paying job. And he said, and I wasn't the only one. He said, after week, whatever, week four of semester two of this class, recruiters from all these government contractors were showing up in the hallway outside of class and hiring people because they knew that once you got this far in the program, you knew enough for them to put you in a seat that they could build clients for. And so for those people, if they're looking at going from wherever they were to making $65,000, maybe they don't think they need to finish the degree. And hopefully most of them do, but a lot of them don't. And again, to your point, they're now leaving without a credential. And we have the ability through this unbundling to say, okay, here's the competencies you did acquire. We're going to credential those. And you can come back and bring those and they'll still be valued to finish your associate's degree. But in the meantime, you have the ability to have an official trusted record from us of the competencies that you affirmatively do have. Because the transcript at this point, since you, you know, it's just going to show you as an unsuccessful non-completer. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to end too, because like the transcript, hey, this is parchment. We love transcripts here, but like it's such an inside baseball document, right? How do we break this down, make it more usable, at least be able to recognize what people know? And I think you and Simone really highlighted it well for me because, you know, like the freak out moment is like, is this disrupting education? The total unbundling, it's totally different. And you're like, no. I mean, that is one conversation to have, but it's really recognition. I think if we focus on that, I think people are on board with that idea. We are wrapping up here, Noah, but I want you to plug your badge summit. So tell people where they can find you, why they should attend the badge summit. Yeah, thank you so much for that opportunity. Uh, just www.thebadgesummit.com. It is a conference that I like to think of as being a little bit different than a lot of gatherings in that it was born out of community. Back in the day, going back 10 years, Simone and other 
kind of old school people I mentioned, we were hopping on Twitter every Monday and doing hashtag badge chat for an hour and just geeking out, asking each other these questions. And that just online community is something that very directly led to having an annual in-person gathering. And we're now in year nine and, and hopefully kind of preserving that feel of, yes, it's a conference and it's a conference that has a feel of a community of practitioners on a whole spectrum of brand new to this space to experts who help build this space, getting together, learning, sharing, networking. It's a conference where you're going to meet somebody who becomes a friend and a collaborator. We try and keep it super affordable. We're expanding it to almost a full day Monday, full day Tuesday, and a half day Wednesday with free pre and post conference workshops Monday morning and Wednesday morning or Wednesday afternoon. Food and all included. So it's very affordable and We'd love to see it in person in Boulder, Colorado, which is pretty awesome, August 5th through 7th, 2024, as well as an online-only uh, Bad Summit, August 20th, that'll have recordings from the in-person gathering, as well as dedicated content just to that day for folks who aren't able to make it in person. I think everyone should attend the Bad Summit. You're going to be smarter by the end of it. It's going to be an awesome time. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt, Simone. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to you, and thanks to Parchment for creating this space and this platform so that is our episode on micro credentials thank you again to noah geisel for giving us his expertise and insight i really learned a lot you know i kind of came into it thinking are micro credentials a complete disruptor of what we're doing in education and really the answer is no it's just about better recognition of what someone knows all learning matters how do we recognize that how do we give people credentials that give workforce employers a better idea of what these people know, right? How do we credential people along the way? Which the clear problem statement is so many people have some learning, but no degree. And this obviously assists in getting people credentials that prove what they know and how well they know it. So very cool. Go to the badgesummit.com. We referenced this a little bit, but that's the badge summit that Noah and the Colorado University Boulder puts on. So check that out. It's an awesome conference. If you're interested in micro-credentials, that's a great one to go to. Our next episode is with Lindsay Doherty from the Rand Corporation. We're talking about stackable credentials, continuing our season on credential innovation. And a quick note, I had my mic cut out for that episode. So that's why the audio quality wasn't as good as we'd like but obviously we'll get that corrected moving forward. And if you haven't, like and subscribe to the page. We've really enjoyed making this podcast. I'm learning so much and I hope it's valuable for all of you. So like and subscribe, check out all of our episodes at our landing page. And with that, we'll talk to you all real soon.